Welcome to Pilates 101, the podcast where we bring you the latest and most up-to-date information on anything and everything to do with the Pilates industry to help you build your dreams and your businesses right now. Good evening, everyone. My name is Glenn Withers. I'm one of the founders of APPI, and I'd like to welcome you to yet another edition of our Pilates 101 podcast. Now, in today's edition, we're going to have a focus on long COVID. Um, COVID-19 obviously has had an enormous impact around the world. And certainly here in the UK, it's had a life-changing effect for many, many people. Um, you know, many people that have lost loved ones, um, almost everybody sort of knowing somebody that uh, unfortunately has succumbed to this deadly virus. And then on the side of that, those that have come out the other side um, have significant challenges just to go back about their daily life and their daily functions. And it's that element that we're going to focus on in today's podcast. And so myself and my colleague, Alex Parford, one of the senior physios at our APPI Wimbledon Clinic, have been working for the last several months on trying to understand everything that we can about long COVID and its effects as it progresses on and what we can actually do to try and and help people. Um, We have a duty of care, don't we, as healthcare practitioners to do all we can to give people the best quality of life possible. And so in investigating what long COVID really is and what it is that we can help with, we came up with this long COVID rehabilitation program. Um, We're pretty excited about it. We think that uh, most importantly, it should make significant change to people's lives. Um, And so we're going to spend the majority of our time on this podcast having a chat about the specific program moving forward. Um, So what I'm going to do, guys, I will take it straight there. I'm going to hand you over to the interview with Alex, and then I will be back to have a chat to you about the interview itself and some other elements of what's going on in the Pilates world after the interview. So without further ado, here is the interview with Alex Parford, APPI Physio, all about long COVID rehabilitation. All right, guys, well, let me uh, introduce to you our guest for this month's podcast. I have with me today, tonight, uh, Alex Parford. Alex is one of our senior physios at the APPI clinics in Wimbledon. Uh, Alex, first of all, welcome to Pilates 101. We're delighted to have you here this evening. How are you doing? Good, thanks, Glenn. Thanks for having me. Uh, my pleasure. This is a, a very interesting topic. We've had lots of sort of requests for more information about uh, long COVID and how we might be able to help people sort of in an ongoing manner. So uh, the chat with Alex tonight, guys, is uh, all about uh, a long COVID rehabilitation program that uh, Alex and I have been working on for the past little while that's uh, coming to its fruition and uh, it will see its birth soon which we're very excited about but before we get into the actual details of uh, the long COVID program and what it is and how much we can sort of try and get across to you guys in this podcast um, Alex why don't I uh, hand over to you to introduce yourself a little bit to the audience out there and give us your sort of elevator spiel of who you are and your physio background etc. Yeah, uh, sure, can do. So I have been a physiotherapist for almost nine years now, and I uh, started my physiotherapy journey by studying up in Manchester, Manchester Metropolitan University, and I graduated in 2012. Um, and from there, I did a little bit of work in the NHS to begin with before um, joining and working for Sail Sharks Rugby Team. Uh, and I worked uh, as their academy physio and an assistant first team physiotherapist for a couple of years um, before moving down to London. And I moved down to London um, about five years ago and I've worked in uh, a couple of different private clinics in London um, and have 
interested in uh, like running a rehab side of things from a physiotherapy perspective. Um, and then since joining APPI, I've kind of started to go along the Pilates journey a little bit, which has been really interesting, um, opening up a whole different side of the movement medicine um, aspect to treatment and rehabilitation, which has been really interesting. Um, and I've completed my MAP work level one, two, and three, um, and also have a little bit of experience in doing the reformer work as well. So uh, it's been really great so far. Good, good, good. Excellent. Well, um, let's sort of get on to the, the topic at hand, which is uh, COVID, long COVID and the long COVID rehab program. Now, um, you've had COVID yourself. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what the experience was like for you as a fit, healthy young man who, who did get the virus and what it was like, what symptoms you did or didn't have, how it was for you? Yeah, uh, so I, I developed COVID in December last year um, and it was eye-opening really um, because I am quite fit and healthy and relatively young. Um, I run about three or four times a week and do other forms of exercise as well. So I would say that aerobically my fitness is, is pretty good. Um, and I picked up the symptoms and it started with just just a cough. And I remember saying to uh, to my girlfriend, oh, imagine if I have COVID. And I laughed about it. And then um, things progressed quite quickly from in the morning just having a little bit of a tickly throat to by the evening having really quite strong flu symptoms and sweating and really feeling not particularly well which in some ways was quite fortunate because it meant that I didn't go to work the next day um, and hopefully prevent the spread of um, virus to anybody else and I the next morning was coughing quite a lot and had these flu-like symptoms for a couple of days which then settled and once that settled I then lost my sense of smell and lost my sense of taste um, and at the, roughly about the same time the fatigue kicked in whilst the cough continued and I would say that I probably lost my sense of smell and taste for roughly about three or four days fortunately returning for Christmas day and having uh, a lovely uh, Christmas roast which I could uh, which I could taste so I was very thankful for that um, and then following that I continued to probably have the fatigue element of it for another couple of days um, and the cough didn't properly subside for probably about two, two and a half weeks. Um, and even though I did feel like I had elements of fatigue, I was still able to do a couple of home workouts, which I kind of forced myself to do more from the mental health aspect of just being locked up in my flat for, uh, for 10 days. Um, but yeah, I definitely felt a bit sluggish and didn't have much energy, energy to do much apart from read my book, watch TV, and then kind of forced myself to do a little bit of, a, bit of an exercise session each day. Yeah, interesting. I mean, it, it, it highlights uh, the fact that the, the virus is, is certainly not selective in any way, is it? Uh, Alex is uh, being a little bit modest there at, uh, at, at times, I think, guys, in that he does a little bit of running. I, I believe you're actually training for an ultra marathon. Is that correct, Alex? Yeah, I am. Yeah, hopefully going to take place in June. So, uh, yeah, okay. that's, that's what my training consists of mostly at the moment. Right, yes. Yeah. So, so for those of us that were nodding along there with our four or five K runs that, uh, that we're doing, um, Alex might be at a, a slightly different fitness level to the rest of us, which uh, may have helped you get over the symptoms like that. But I am interested, just on that side, uh, we'll, we'll get on to the long COVID thing in a moment, but given that you, you had COVID, which is effectively now, what, around about three months or so, a bit over three months ago now, um, do you have any ongoing systems in terms of you know, how your ribcage expansion feels when you're running, any stiffness within the, the ribs or the thoracic spine or any element that you, you still feel, especially when you, you know, go on, on obviously the, the quite long runs that you're doing at the moment, or would you say that you're completely good, back to normal, no signs? Uh, I'd actually say, so a lot of my running, because I am training for the ultramarathon at the moment, is quite low intensity. Um, and I don't feel any particular 
restrictions whilst doing that, which is quite fortunate because I do suffer from exercise-induced asthma. Um, but I just take an inhaler uh, before I go for a run, and I haven't struggled with um, doing any of my training runs at the moment. But I also do um, a little bit of Mai Tai kickboxing, which is a, a higher intensity and certainly gets my heart rate up and then obviously makes my, uh, my breathing a little bit probably sharper and a, a little bit more intense. And I have found that coming towards the end of those sessions, and if I'm going through like a little bit of an intense block, I have found that my breathing can be a little bit restricted in um, those situations and it's not something that I have previously experienced beforehand. Um, and I don't know whether that's because obviously for about two months due to the current restrictions, I wasn't really doing yeah. an awful lot of that and maybe it's just getting back into the fitness. But I have still kept up with the running for the majority of it, apart from the 10 days of being in isolation. So that could possibly be due to it. From a breathing um, perspective, I do quite a lot of my own breathing exercises to help with my own forms of like rehab um, and then like lung volume and mental health. And I have potentially found that my exhalations have become a little bit shorter and I am feeling a little bit more rushed in terms of the inhalation. Um, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more the breathing as we go on to the programme. So there are maybe some slight effects, but I think that overall I've been very lucky to not suffer with any real long-standing uh, symptoms. Okay, good, interesting. And, and yeah, we will have a bit more of a, a chat about the breathing as we go along. For those of you who are listening to the podcast last month, I touched briefly on the breathwork side of things. And I know from our um, APPI Clinics Wellness Days, there's been quite a lot of interest in and around breathwork and we will go on to that because it does form a key part of, of the program that we've been working on. So let's, uh, let's get on to, to that now. We've been working on this, this program together for a little while um, and I asked you to go away and sort of research long COVID and really have a look into it in terms of you know, who it affects, is it linked to hospital stay or not, is it linked to you know, intensity of the virus, is there anything that we can sort of dictate within who would benefit from it or not and what have you. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about what you did find researching uh, long COVID in terms of exactly sort of what it is and who it might affect, any, uh, anything that we learned from the sort of uh, investigation phase here. Yeah, uh, sure. So um, severe COVID can cause pneumonia and respiratory failure which can result in permanent damage and scarring of the lungs. Um, and I think that from like a hospital admission rate, there seems to be a real correlation between AE and um, like previous health as to how much it affects you and whether you are to be admitted to hospital and potentially end up in uh, ICU. But there doesn't seem to be that correlation with people who may end up developing long COVID symptoms, which is really interesting expect um, that people who were most severely affected by it and may end up being um, admitted to hospital, they're more likely to suffer from long COVID symptoms, but that doesn't seem to be the case whatsoever in terms of what the research is suggesting. Um, and the health watchdog NICE defines long COVID as lasting uh, people having symptoms that last for more than 12 weeks, although some people consider the symptoms that less last than and that last longer than eight weeks should be considered as long COVID. And the research suggests that one in five people who test positive for COVID have symptoms that last for five weeks or longer, whereas around one in 10 people, they have them that last for 12 weeks or longer. So it's showing that it's really quite a high percentage of people who do end up um, developing COVID symptoms whether that's severe or not severe, will then end up developing some form of longer-lasting, long-COVID uh, effects. Yeah. Gosh, that is interesting, isn't it? When you put it into perspective like that in terms of uh, one in five, what did you say there? One in five having... Yes, research suggests that one in five people who test positive for COVID uh, have symptoms that last for five weeks or longer. And then for around one in 10 people, they last for 12 weeks or longer. Right. So 
In terms of obviously long COVID then, the predictions research-wise are that there's a significant impact of long COVID on the community then, because if one in 10 of your symptoms are lasting longer than 12 weeks and that sort of leads into the long COVID sort of category, if we say. I mean, at one stage, if we think back, I think they were saying around one in three people in London here had COVID. Um, so with the volume that have actually had it, when you put it into statistics like that, um, you, it sort of gives us an indication that there must be a, a lot of people out there, either knowingly or unknowingly, uh, suffering the effects of long COVID. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that it's something that by offering people a rehabilitation program that hopefully can guide them back to um, better health and fitness would be, um, would be very important. Yes, yes, we agree on that for sure. Well, why don't we go into what long COVID actually is a little bit more then for our listeners out there because you know, we have this term long COVID that we're all familiar with, but um, you know, obviously through this um, research phase and information gathering phase, we were able to really define it down into a, a relatively specific set of signs and symptoms. So could you take us through a little bit more about what long COVID actually is and how it presents itself in people? Yeah, certainly. So um, the lasting symptoms tend to be uh, fatigue, and that's seen in roughly 98% of people who have symptoms that last for 12 weeks or longer. Um, the next one is muscle fatigue, which is seen in roughly 88% of people uh, short of shortness of breath which is 87% headaches is another one with roughly about 83% of people and then there are other signs and symptoms as well which I don't think are um, have the statistics um, correlated with them quite yet but they are anxiety depression um, chest pains heart palpitations and then this brain fog which people are describing um, which I think is very closely related to the anxiety and depression and that's because people just can't function at a high enough level. Um, A good friend of mine who um, developed COVID, her symptoms didn't last for the full 12 weeks so it's not been classified as long COVID but I know um, that she really struggled for at least three or four weeks with this brain fog um, which which she found really, really quite tough Um, and she's normally a really happy get up and go kind of person um, and it's very energetic does a lot of sport does a lot of exercise and um, yeah she struggled with that quite a lot okay yeah because there is that is that brain fog is one thing that that certainly um i've had a lot of discussions with people about that seems to be one of those things that people just yeah can't under, quite understand why it's happening um could i just just for the point of our listeners out there um can we just go over those symptoms again? So you said fatigue in around 98% of people, was that right? Yeah, um, muscle ache and soreness, shortness of breath, headaches, anxiety and depression, chest pains, heart palpitations, and then brain fog. Yeah. Okay, the... um. The heart palpitations part of that obviously is is a, a bit of a concerning feature, isn't it? And I know we'll get into the when we talk about the program, it's something that we have to consider with the exercise choice and, and what have you. Um, but is there any? Uh, how, do we understand anything as to why the increase in in heart rate and that change in the way that it works is happening? Once one would assume the virus is relatively out of the symptom, out of the system? Uh, Well, I think it's, um, from the British Heart Foundation, they released some information saying that obviously um, because of the more acute symptoms and the reason that a lot of people are hospitalised and um, admitted to ICUR due to the fact that um, COVID can cause pneumonia and respiratory failure, but that's kind of in the headlines and everybody knows about that. But under the surface as well, um, COVID isn't just a lung illness, it can cause 
other life-changing complications in particular. It can see an increased risk of blood clots. It can lead to DVTs, heart attacks and strokes. And I think that people being aware of those types of symptoms is really important as well. And making sure that they go and speak to their GP or are getting some form of other medical assistance whilst they're recovering um, is really important because, as I say, it's, it's not just a lung disease, but there are other complications to it as well. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Very interesting. Um, all right, well, look, why don't we get on to the program it, itself? Could you sort of give us just a outline of the program that we have developed in terms of its time frame, the structure of it, that sort of thing? Yeah, so uh, the program that we've put together is a six-week program, which consists of two sessions a week, um, and each session it will be blocked out for an hour um, and every week there will be a slight increase in the duration of the exercise component. So for the first week we'll be looking at just doing roughly about 25 minutes worth of exercise and then over the course of the six weeks we're probably going to add about five minutes or so um, to each session. Um, the reason being is that obviously this is going to be very new to a lot of people um, and for people who are really struggling with breathlessness and fatigue, we certainly don't want the first week to be really, really intense and um, for people to be concerned and put off by doing it. So we want to start nice and easy and slowly, but also see um, some slight progressive overload each week so that people can feel like they're getting better, um, both um, physically and mentally. Because if you're doing a little bit more each week, you can also see that progression really nicely yourself. Um, what we wanted to do with the program is have a consistency of a few things so that was making sure that the people who undertake the course have a lot of clarity about what it involves um, and there are going to be different components to it so there are going to be breathing elements to it there are going to be mobility and stretching elements to it um, as you progress through it there's going to be um, more strength based work and some aerobic based work once people have kind of earned the right to be able to do those things and they know that they feel okay without having to rush into it too much. Um, but finally, we also wanted to try and create a little bit of a community because um, at this time, we're not allowed to spend much time together and I imagine that some people who have long COVID have potentially not been able to speak or reach out to other people who have long COVID symptoms. And we thought that it was really important that people had an opportunity to talk to each other and maybe give each other little bit of little bits of advice that I unfortunately wouldn't be able to give to people um, that they might find useful out throughout the course of the day, whether that's doing things in short durations or maybe doing your washing at one specific time of the day, doing the, uh, things with your kids at another point of the day, and just little bits that will hopefully help each other out. Yeah. Excellent. Good. Um, thank you very much. Now I'm going to pick up just on a, a few of those components to explore in a little bit more detail if that's okay um, and the first thing that uh, I wanted to touch on that you said there is the breathing elements um, because you, you touched on with the signs of signs and symptoms that we have fatigue muscle ache we have that shortness of breath um, and, I, and I think you said in around about 87 percent of, of cases um, we have that that shortness of breath um, you know headache one might uh, make a reasonable association between, you know, a lack of oxygen in and out and the potential for headache to develop. To develop. Um, and then anxiety, depression, chest pain, this brain fog, you know, obviously getting the appropriate um, mix of chemicals in and around our body is, is part of all of this. And breathing is obviously a key component to try and balance the chemicals in and out in terms of how our, our body functions. Um, and Alex was uh, doing a session to all of us in our clinics a week ago, I think it was a week ago, um, where he was taking us over this program and we were running it through just to make sure we had it all right um, within, within our clinics and what have you. Um, and we had some interesting discussions there on the breathing side, Alex, about when in a class the breathing work should be or shouldn't be and maybe how the positions differ. Could you just explore that a little bit for us as well? 
Yeah, definitely. So um, we've looked at, we originally discussed potentially putting the breathing element of it into the mid portion of the, uh, the sessions um, and then having a little bit of a group discussion and reading through the research a little bit, we decided that actually probably the best way of doing it was splitting the breathing so that we actually started the session um, with some breathing and then finishing the session with some breathing. And the thought process behind that is that, I mean, the, the research behind breathing, and there are so many fantastic books out there at the moment that talk a lot in detail about breathing, and it's something that I'm very interested in, um, is that you can use breathing in many different ways. And we decided that by using some breathing techniques at the beginning of the session, it was a really nice way of getting everybody into a comfortable position and trying to use breathing techniques that actually try and improves people's energies um, and using different techniques to help just try and make them a little bit more alert at the beginning of the session so that they then felt more comfortable and a little bit more up for the session in terms of movement. Um, and then we were going to finish the session by using uh, slightly different techniques to just help try and downregulate the system a little bit, maybe potentially calm people's respiratory rates down. Um, look to try and get them into a little bit more of a parasympathetic state by using diaphragmatic breathing techniques just to help try and calm them down, relax them and then enable them to be able to go out throughout the rest of their day without potentially feeling a little bit breathless and maybe a little bit anxious at the end of the session. Yeah, yeah, okay, good, good. I, um, I hope that sort of stimulates some thought in our listeners out there as well. Um, but can I touch um, again on, on the position with the breathing in terms of standing versus sitting versus lying and how that might play into it? Or um, I think we had a bit of a discussion about if somebody was having a particular um, challenge with some of the breathing that we could change the position or give them a bit of an alternative way to encourage a different breath response. Yeah, um, so we were going to start the session um, in a seated breathing technique, uh, seated breathing position, just so that they can look to try and slouch a little bit more um, and get a little bit more depression through the rib cage and look to try and get a little bit more uh, posterior expansion. Um, and then uh, to finish the session, we were going to look at getting people to be lying in a supine position and using their hands to give them some facilitation and some proprioception as to try to get a little bit more of a bucket handle technique um, and movement throughout that rib cage and looking to try and facilitate the diaphragm a little bit more in that position. Yeah, yeah, good. And it is, again, fascinating. I touched on it in the last podcast. We're touching on here, and we, we will do more and more, guys, I, I promise you. But it, it is fascinating how the position changes the effect of the breath exercise as well, isn't it? Um, and so that's... Uh, you know, something just to be to be aware of, and something we've played around a, a fair bit with this program to make sure we we have it in the right way. Um, but look, the, you touched on there earlier, Alex, about the different components of this program as well. We're sort of breathing, some mobility work, some strength, and some cardio work as well. I want to just touch on from a more of a Pilates point of view because. Um, this program that uh, we have created isn't a Pilates-specific program. It is a long COVID rehab program that utilises various elements of exercise and, and movement medicine, as, as weird APPI clinics like to call it. So I appreciate you throwing the tagline in there earlier as well. That was excellent. Um, but uh, we, uh, from a Pilates point of view, what elements of Pilates have you put into the program? Uh, so we've used, especially in the earlier stages, we've used um, mobility work. So we've used exercises like arm openings and hip twist level two. Um, and that's been to try and target areas that we think specifically will help with respiratory function. Um, so especially potentially if people have spent quite a lot of time in hospital uh, spend quite a lot of time lying down in bed, then um, we'd like with the arm openings to be able to try and get a little bit more of an opening through that thoracic area and through the rib cage. Um, and then with hip twist level two, looking to try and get a little bit more mobility through uh, the lumbar spine and through the pelvis. Um, and then we've 
also looked at slightly further down the line, looking at trying to improve people's control and their function um, in like a really nice, easy way that's not going to make people concerned about loading too much, both doing that on the map, but then also in a standing way as well, so that they can progress into getting a little bit more load. So, for example, using walking as one of our exercises in standing to get in some calf load, some Achilles load, um, and then also getting some quadricep um, loading, which is obviously very important for our people who want to get up and around and moving a little bit more, but then adding in some like reciprocal movement and coordination as well. Uh, excellent, good. All right, um, and then we sort of move on to adding some cardio elements in there as well. Um, and I'm sure people will be thinking in terms of um, e- equipment and um, could you just go over in terms of overall with the class including the cardio element is there any cardio equipment that's needed or any other equipment that's needed for people going through this program uh, absolutely not no um, we wanted to make it as accessible to people as possible um, so you don't need uh, a step you don't need um, any fancy form of equipment whatsoever um, Later on in the program, we may ask you to add a little bit of load to the exercises, but as I said, we want to make it as accessible to people as possible, so you can just use anything that you might have around the house, um, but we won't be asking you to use a treadmill or a bike or anything like that. Yeah. Okay, good, good. So uh, accessible to anyone, and I guess that goes into the concept that, you know, given we're in the current restrictions that, uh, that we're in, it makes sense anyway. But we are doing this program as an online program initially. Um, now, we were looking at that also from the point of view that you know a lot of people suffering from long COVID you know, may not be ready and or able to come into the, the clinic as well. And so we have decided to sort of go with the, the online program versus a, a live program. And I guess that plays into the fact that it needed to be created very easy for people to complete, to access, not having any equipment, that sort of thing. So really anyone, no matter where you are in terms of age, location, etc., can partake? Yeah, definitely. Um, and we just want people to be able to have a bit of space at home, um, potentially a map that they can use to um, lie on to do some of the exercises so that they feel a little bit more comfortable, potentially a chair for some of the breathing exercises, cushion or a pillow and then um, as I said if they've got something that they can use to add a little bit of resistance as we progress around the program that's fantastic but the most important thing to us is that they can do it at home in a secure and safe environment and that they can still see progressions each week yeah good excellent now we um, the final thing I'll, I'll ask you, Alec, I know I'm, I, I said it will only be about 20, 25 minutes and I've gone over that a little bit. I tend to do that, so I apologise. So I will wrap it up with you so you can get home to bed. Um, but uh, the, there is a little bit in terms of um, somebody actually being fit enough to do this program. There is an element of people with COVID that actually they wouldn't be even ready to do a program such as this. And uh, I, I think we had two or three specific elements that they had to achieve in order to come onto the program. Yeah, so we, the requirements that we have for the course, which um, we followed um, some research um, and a research paper in particular, which was released by the British Medical Journal. And they talked about um, the rehab specifics that they were looking for. Um, and for people to engage in our group classes, what we're looking for is that they can perform uh, their activities of daily living with relative ease. And I think you can interpret that in a couple of different ways. Uh, the way that we've kind of taken to interpret it is the fact that you can do your washing, um, you can do your drying, you can uh, change your bed sheets, uh, you can go up and down the stairs um, and you can potter around the house with relative ease. Um, And then the second thing is that you can perform a 500 metre walk without breathlessness or fatigue post-walk and that's 
walk, it doesn't need to be fast, it doesn't fast, it doesn't need to be brisk, but we would like people to be able to achieve that so that we know that they've got some form of aerobic capacity before they get involved in the group sessions. And that's just because with being the group sessions, there's obviously going to be a few other people involved in it. We want people to feel comfortable with the fact that they're obviously going to get a lot of monitoring engagement from us, but that they're going to feel safe in that environment. Um, we don't want people who can't achieve those requirements to not be involved in any form of rehabilitation, but what we would suggest to people who are struggling with those two things is that we do some one-to-one sessions first so that they can get a little bit more um, like guidance and we can observe them a little bit more specifically until they can reach those requirements and then we would look for them to get involved in the group setting because I think as we talked about at the beginning of the session, for people to be engaged with other people who are going through the same thing is very important. Yeah. Excellent. Very good. Um, well, Alex, thank you very much for your time and your expertise in uh, sort of summarising this program out for us. I'm sure it's given a lot of our listeners um, great food for thought. Um, the program, uh, guys, we're hoping to to start probably um, 5th of April. I think we have it um, scheduled for, for us to actually launch this program. As we said, it is an online program, so it's open to anyone from anywhere in the UK. So our listeners out there, if you have clients, family, friends that uh, you think might be uh, interested in the program or could benefit from the program. There'll be more details up on our clinics website. That's appiclinics.com from next week. Um, We've got a blog coming out about uh, the program and and a lot of what Alex spoke about tonight as well that will be coming um, out through the education website and to our members as well. Um, And likewise, guys, for those of you out there that might Um, be involved in GP practices or NHS hospitals or care homes or anything along those lines that think might benefit from this program. We'd love to hear from you. Um, We're already in discussions with a few various GPs and PCTs, etc. So we're keen to help as many people as we can. As you said, this is an online program to begin with. Um, Alex will be taking the program himself. So the first lot of the programs anyway will be by uh, the man who's helped put this all together. So um, we're very excited about it, more so because we just see the important need for this program more than anything. There's a real need to be able to help a whole bunch of people that can benefit from a very structured, research-based, well-founded program such as what we have here. So Alex, thank you very much. Um, If you have any queries, questions, for uh, Alex or for us, please uh, email in at the Institute. It's appihealthgroup.com. Um, but apart from that, Alex, thank you very much for your time this evening. Cheers. Thank you, Glenn. All right. Bye now. Welcome back. And I hope you found the chat with Alex there um, really interesting and hopefully thought-provoking as well. Um, and we would uh, obviously love your support to help us get this program Uh, off the ground as well so as I mentioned there in the interview if uh, you do have anyone that you think might benefit from the program please uh, send them our way or book uh, push the direct them to the website Um, all the bookings will be on the mind body online system as well where people can book fill in the uh, parq we have developed a physical activity readiness questionnaire for people to be able to ensure they're ready for the program as well Um, that'll all be available on mind body sort of by the end of next week we believe but uh, more information on the website there appiclinics.com but let's have a look at what else is going on in the pilates industry or the world fitness industry and healthcare industry at the moment oh here in the uk we finally have a roadmap out of this thing we hope Um, and so we have some key dates coming up Uh, first key date for all of us that are parents here in the UK is one week away or slightly less than uh, one week now, not that we're all counting, but March the 8th, our kids go back to school and oh my gosh, am I very pleased for them. I'm not talking about just how overly ecstatic Elisa and I are as parents that the kids are going back to school. This is all about the children. It's all about their education and them getting back 
to school and nothing to do with us getting some life and sanity back, we hope. Um, but uh, there you go, March 8th, kids back to school. For those of you running um, physiotherapy clinics out there predominantly, I guess this is a chance for us to hopefully welcome back some of our clients and patients that maybe haven't been able to get to see us because they've been tied up at home as well. So um, you guys out there that are doing that, think about what sort of um, promotions, offers, marketing you're going to do around that because that might uh, be a welcome boost to our businesses. And then we have April 12th, fingers crossed, gyms reopen. A um, little bit of a caveat on there for us in the Pilates industry is that it, it, gyms reopen, but for one-to-one individual or one-to-one training only. Group classes still don't come back. Group classes are still some time off. Um, so for those of us in the Pilates industry that are waiting for group exercise to re, uh, return, and we're hoping for that on that April 12th, Based on what I've been able to read right now, and if anyone has any different information out there, please send it our way. We would love to find something that uh, says something that uh, is is different to that. But as our reading goes of where we're at, um, April 12th, gyms reopen. So hopefully we can welcome back our Pilates one-to-one clients, but our group classes are still some way off, we believe. But let's uh, let's look at the, the bright side. Hopefully we have an actual road out of this. We've got through the, the winter months and we're heading into spring. The sun's starting to come out. The days are a little bit longer and uh, hopefully everyone's spirits a little bit brighter as well. I certainly know we have seen that little bit of a, a, a sense of coming out of it the other side in our clinic this week. So long may that continue for all of you as well. Um, All right, the uh, thing that I'm going to sort of take up a little bit of of time here is what I believe and what we at the Institute believe is a very important day, and that is March the 8th. March the 8th is International Women's Day, and it's a day that we do celebrate every year. And you may have seen some of the social media posts going out about you guys telling us about your inspirations and who they are they might be. So I thought I would go ahead and share mine. Now, I'm sure that uh, this is going to come as no surprise to you that when I think about international women leading industry, changing the way people think, having an impact on lives in multiple countries, multiple languages, and really changing the course of healthcare, um, I have to nominate and proudly so all right i think sometimes maybe i'm a, a little bit too subtle but i'm going to just stand on my soapbox and say proudly so nominating my amazing wife elisa withers the co-founder of appi the true brains uh body image everything really behind this appi method and this appi institute um Elisa truly is a remarkable human being in my eyes. Um, she, as many of you know, come from, comes from a ballet background, um, had to make a very difficult choice um, you know, before she, in her late teens, before she was even 20, whether to continue down the, the ballet track professionally or to go more of an academic pathway and study physiotherapy. Um, in fact, she was debating between physiotherapy and law, I believe it was, um, had a little bit of a flurry with possible um, uh, marine biology, um, but was a pretty smart cookie um, and was top of the state in many subjects as well. And she's a very understated person, but uh, put me to shame academically, I have to acknowledge. Um, But when I look at where I am today and what I am doing today and, and what, who I have been able to help, I wouldn't be anything and anywhere where I am today if it wasn't for Elisa. Elisa got me into Pilates. She had the passion, the vision, the drive for what Pilates is and what it could be. Um, she predominantly wrote those first manuals for us, hours upon hours um, of work cultivating, creating the program, 
um, working together. It was Elisa again who really stood up and and left the security of our NHS job at the time because she believed in what we were doing, believed it could work. And so she was the one that left the security of that job and, and set up the laptop on the dining table. And that's where APPI started. We were in a place called Wigan at the time, up in uh, just outside of Manchester, which was a fascinating experience. We had an amazing time there with some amazing people. Um, but Lisa, again, she had that drive and she still has that drive today. Um, and it is her that motivates me each and every day to get up and try and make something better of myself and something better of our clinics and of our education and our products. It's, uh, needless to say that as our lives have uh, progressed, um, we've had five uh, little additions into into our lives. And I think this is probably where uh, many husbands, fathers, father-in-laws or whatever have probably seen some of the most remarkable elements into our wives, fathers, daughters, daughter-in-laws, etc. And that when I look at what Lise has done over this last year, and it is pretty much a full year now, we're in the blink of an eye. She had to somehow uh, comprehend, um, somehow rationalise a an complete change of life from you know a, a businesswoman, a successful businesswoman, leading industry, making uh, a huge amount of change in many many people's lives, to devoting her every bean to the children to homeschool them, feed them, clean them, all the rest of what we have all been through over this last year. And we have five children. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, I can't quite um, explain to you what a challenge it's been. And as much as I like to, to be as hands-on as I can and as involved as I can, um, you know, we have one girl and four boys and uh, these boys definitely are mummy's boys, I'll tell you that. But, you know, hey, as I often say to them, why not? She's an amazing human being. I think if I was a, uh, a son of hers, I'd be a mummy's boy as well. Um, but just really, I guess I wanted to, to share the fact that Liz has um, never, ever stopped. She saw a vision with creating the APPI Pilates Method and the APPI Institute. Um, she drives us every day. She gives her every bean to to our family and then to the business and is often up till one, two o'clock in the morning um, doing her, her business hat work, developing our clinics, pushing our clinics, keeping our clinics alive. Um, you know, through the pandemic, um, it was Liz that effectively rebranded our clinics, rewrote an entire website, created a design team and did all of this without anyone even knowing she was working, to be fair. She, there she was, one, two o'clock in the morning working away and during the day giving every inch of her to the, to the children. And it's remarkable. And I think those of you that own a business will know that it's amazing um, all of the work that a lot of people that work for you don't see. Um, and you know, what I can say is um, when I think about the inspirational person that Elisa is to me, it's that concept of how much she does that nobody even recognises. And you know, for all of us, we like people to notice what we do, right? Um, yet for a year, Lisa's had to continue to work long into the evenings, often starting work at nine, ten o'clock after the kids get to bed, and then uh, you know, putting a smile on the face. She she learnt to uh, set her emails to go at eight, nine a.m. the next day because uh, she didn't want people receiving emails at two, three in the morning. But that's what she was doing. She is an absolutely remarkable human being to myself and to my children, uh, to our children. And so on this International Women's Day coming up, um, I want to highlight the amazing person that uh, your founder of the Institute, Elisa Wither, is my wife and the mother to my children. And so that's my little soapbox uh, dedication to the single most inspirational person I know in my life. Uh, and so now it's your turn, guys. We have asked you to send in some uh, nominations. It can be a little voice recording. It can be a video. It can be a little message. But let us know 
who inspires you? Um, it could be a fellow colleague, it could be uh, a parent, a godparent, a grandparent, a person of industry. Um, you know, it, may, it might even be Elisa for you guys as well, who knows? Um, but send us through your thoughts because I think it's really, really important for me, especially this past year, to really hold a torch, hold a light on the amazing uh, life that many of the women out there have delivered uh, over many, many years, but especially this past year. Um, and I guess that's really uh, probably enough for, for this week. So let's uh, keep pushing, uh, keep working, keep focusing on your Pilates teaching, on your Pilates practice, and let's see uh, how things go. Now, one thing that I should say while I've got the chance is you may have seen again the social media coming out there. We have the phenomenal program we've been working on for almost a year now, which is our APPI Pilates TV. It is a full professional studio quality uh, subscription service and we think it's going to be pretty amazing it's going to be coming live to you guys over the upcoming weeks you'll see some little teasers coming out um, but if you uh, haven't already registered your interest in it um, do keep a lookout for that um, we're going to have an amazing uh, price on there around about 12 to 14 pounds a month something along those lines and it is going to be coming live within weeks. There will be new classes coming on there every month. There's teachers from around the world. Elisa and I have our own various series on the subscription channel that we'll be adding to as well. And we think it's going to be um, really, really great. It's all studio quality, professionally edited, professional lighting, sound, everything that comes with the quality that you would expect from us. It's an entire new section on the website as well. Um, all been rewritten, redrafted, rebranded. So we're pretty happy about it. We're pretty excited by it. So hopefully you guys will enjoy that as well. So that's APPI Pilates TV coming to you over the next few weeks. But for now, may I wish you all the best in your Pilates worlds. Stay safe, stay well, and I will see you next month.